Good morning, and welcome to the Sunday stream at Flat Creek Baptist Church. We are so thankful that you've joined us today, whether you're watching online or you are joining us on Glory FM 97.5. We are grateful for you being here today, and we look forward to worshiping alongside of you this morning. God bless you, and enjoy the stream. stars ablaze only one 
could breathe life into clay only one can quiet raging seas only one has power to redeem only one spoke countless stars ablaze
what a way to start the service this morning. Amen. Amen. Would you join me for a time of prayer? Uh, heads bowed and eyes closed today. And, and as Caleb was leading uh, the choir, I, I just, I was watching Brother Ken sing and I heard Elizabeth behind me uh, just saying amen and started thinking about all the people this morning that, that have had the privilege and the honor to greet as they've come in the door, whether that be at the 8.30 service or during Sunday school. And, you know, in all honesty, the reason that our choir sings the way they do, the reason that Brother Caleb leads the way he does, the reason that our congregation sings with such praise and, and shouts and, and claps is because we are imperfect people who have come to a point in their lives where we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus has made all the difference. And so if you're, if you're here this morning and you're here for the very first time or maybe you're here for the 15th time, let me just relieve a little pressure off of you today. You're in a house of grace. You're in a place where you're welcome. You're in a place where the loving arms of Jesus uh, just wants to wrap you up today. And we as a church family want to do the same thing. Jesus said it wasn't the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. And I echo the words of the Apostle Paul and say, I'm the chief of sinners, the man standing in the pulpit. I'm no better than anybody. I need the grace of God more and more every hour. And I'm so thankful of the song that says, Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. And today we do. We praise Jesus. All the praise, all the glory, all the honor belongs to him and to him alone. We love you, Lord, and say these things in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. and amen. Let's welcome our online and radio listening audience today. We are so thankful that when we join together here at Flat Creek that we're not only here on, uh, in person, but we're online and the radio as well. So people are literally tuning in all over the world right now to, uh, to worship alongside of us and what great joy that is. But you might be here today for the very first time. And if you are, we are so grateful for your presence today. In the back of your pews, you're going to find a connections card. It's green. If you could fill that out for us and on your way out the double doors today, right between the double doors is a connections desk. There'll be some folks there. If you could turn that in for us, that's our way to connect with you during the week. We also have a gift for you, so we would greatly appreciate if you would turn that in for us. Uh, also, some of you have been asking about how to become a member of Flat Creek Baptist Church. I want to invite you to be a part of our new members class. It started this this morning during the Sunday school hour. So if you're here, you've been visiting for some time and you'd like to be a member, that class is going to go on for three more weeks. So you can come next Sunday morning at 10 o'clock and meet right here in the sanctuary and be a part of that class. Listen, at Flat Creek, we have a custom to where we like to shake hands and hug the necks of those around us during a time of fellowship. So we're going to ask you to stand at this time as we sing the hymn, the old, uh, no, at the cross. Y'all shake the hands and love those around you today. 
That's a good word, isn't it? At the cross where I first saw the light. Look, I hope that when you encountered Jesus for the first time, you elected him king in your life. As Pastor Zach says over and over again, it doesn't matter if we choose to make him the king of our life. He's the king. The choir just sang about it. He's the king of all kings. And so let's worship him now. Let's just sing, you are my king. If you haven't made that decision so far in your walk with the Lord, make it now. Let's sing together. Pastor Zach, you go ahead and clap. That's fine with me. Pastor Zach's going to be preaching out of Romans chapter 8, verse 1 today. This is going to be like its own mini-series. It's probably going to take like a year just to get through chapter 8, but it's good. We're going to keep standing. I know you might be ready to sit down, but you can't sing in Christ alone, sitting down. All right, so I want you to sing it. I want you to remember that now there is, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the verse. So let's sing it together like we know it in the depths of our soul in Christ alone. In Christ alone. 
the love. 
Thank you, Brother Caleb. If I could say one thing uh, to everybody, when we were singing In Christ Alone, Brother Mike Hedden, if you would have took out that trumpet during In Christ Alone, I probably, I probably would have been raptured out right there. It would have been, that would have been it. Oh, man. Listen, if you are here in kindergarten through the fifth grade and you have pre-registered for Children's Church, Miss Breeze, Mr. James, they're right here behind the piano, and you can be dismissed at this time, what a joy it is to have all these children, amen? Precious, precious children. And then you hear the log jam back there between the choir and the kids. See, what happens is you got the choir and their grandparents and then they see their grandkids and then it just creates this log jam back there. But that's all right. Uh, if you'll open your Bibles today to the book of Romans chapter number 8, as we continue walking through this book of the Bible this morning, I'm not going to say what member of the praise team it was, 
I said, we're going to get continue walking through Romans today. And they said, walking through Romans, more like stomping through Romans. And I, I said, well, okay. And they said, but that's a good thing because they said, Romans will just kind of stomp all over you sometimes. And I said, it will. Uh, and indeed, there will be some of that today as the Word of God, as we've said many times, is sharp uh, and it cuts. But also today is one of those... Just the most sweetest verses in the entire Bible. As you come to Romans chapter number 8 this morning, I want you to know that the 8th chapter of Romans has been described in many different ways. Some people say that Romans chapter number 8 is the highest peak in a range of mountains. And others say that Romans 8 is the most sparkling diamond in a ring of diamonds. Many commentators, they like to quote the German author by the name of Spinner, who many years ago said it this way, if Holy Scripture were a ring and the epistle to the Romans were a precious stone, chapter 8 would be the sparkling point of the jewel. Others have called Romans 8 the holy of holies of the Christian faith, saying that when the veil is removed from your heart to see the glorious truth this chapter conveys, it's only then that you can live a victorious life over sin. From the bottom of my heart as your pastor, I want you to know that I believe that the commentators got it right. When praying and considering what book of the Bible God would have us to walk through after our walkthrough of Genesis, it was Romans 8 that led me to walk through this book of the Bible. And as we've been walking through Romans 8, Together, I have desperately longed to get to Romans chapter 8 because Romans chapter number 8 is where I want us as a church to live. This chapter of the Bible is so important for the Christian because it teaches us more about the Spirit-filled life than any other chapter of the Bible. As a matter of fact, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 19 times in this chapter alone. Amen. Far and above the most he is mentioned in any chapter of the Bible. Chapter number 8 is the natural conclusion of everything that Paul has written up to this point. In this one chapter of the Bible, Paul is going to teach the believer of the assurance of their salvation. He's going to teach us of what it means to walk in the Spirit. He's going to bring us into the knowledge of what it means to be adopted into the family of God. He's going to teach us about the intercession of the Holy Spirit. He's going to teach us of what it means to be patient in tribulation, always trusting that God is at work. He's going to close this chapter with those famous words that all believers love to quote, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, if there were any chapter of the Bible today, if you, were to, if you were to say to me, Pastor Zach, listen, today we're going to have to take you out of Gainesville and we're going to have to put you on a deserted island and you're going to have to live on that deserted island for the rest of your life. And the only thing that we're going to allow you to take with you other than the basic necessities to survive is one chapter of the Bible. You choose. What chapter will it be? I would choose chapter 8 every time. Friends, in my opinion, it is the most important chapter of the New Testament. And it begins with what I consider to be the most glorious verse 
in the entire Bible for this one verse teaches us the effectiveness of the gospel in the life of the believer. See, I believe that the reason that there are many believers today that are stuck in infancy and so many believe, so many re, the reason why so many young believers suffer the shipwreck of their faith after the newness of their conversion wears off is because they do not understand Romans chapter 8, verse 1. I would submit to you this morning that we as a church should commit ourselves to making this verse of Scripture the very first Scripture we tell a newborn babe in Christ to memorize. Friends, the enemy fears a believer who learns to live in Romans 8, chapter number 1. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. As I said, I believe the most glorious words ever uttered from human lips. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can I read it to you again? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who were in Christ Jesus. Can I read it to you one more time? <laughs> Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who were in Christ Jesus. That one verse should cause every believer under the sound of my voice this morning to stand up and shout. Yeah. Thank you. Y'all did better with that than the 830 service. <laughs> For that one verse encompasses everything you need to know about the gospel. What are the far-reaching effects of the gospel in your life? Listen, number one, three observations. I want to bring a message to you today entitled, The Great Therefore. Don't you love that? The great, therefore. Number one, the gospel should create in us a sense of awestruck wonder. Amen. The gospel should create in us a sense of awestruck wonder. Romans 8 and verse number one, therefore. I, I don't know if there's a greater therefore in your entire Bible. Therefore. Remember, anytime that we see the word therefore in the scriptures, we've got to pause for a moment. And we got to ask ourselves the question, what is it there for? And remember that therefore is a conjunctive word. It, it links everything before it with everything that comes after it. In other words, you could say it like this. If everything before the therefore is true, then everything after the therefore is true as a result. Romans 8.1 is Paul's grand conclusion to the first seven chapters. In fact, to fully understand the gravity of this statement, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, you have to pause. I mean, as you're running through this book, you've got to hit the brakes for a moment. And you've got to consider everything that Paul has said up to this point. And when you do, the gravity of this statement will hit you with the force of a tidal wave. Listen what he says. In a couple of different portions of Romans, Romans chapter 1, 
You see, if you go through the first seven chapters of Romans, over and over again, this one word comes to the forefront of your mind. Guilty. Condemned. And in fact, Paul puts everyone under condemnation. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 32, he condemns the pagan Gentile. In chapter 2, verse 17 through 24, he condemns the overly religious Jew. And in case someone would be here today and say, I fit in neither one of those categories, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 3, beginning in verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Paul condemns the entirety of the human race. He goes on in 319. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may be accountable to God because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. He goes on in chapter 5, verse 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Chapter 5, verse 16, the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, judgment arose from one transgression resulting in what? Condemnation. Verse 18, chapter 5, so then as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation. Condemned, 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 condemned condemned, guilty as charged. But on the heels of all of that condemnation, Paul inserts this little conjunctive word, therefore. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. Amen. Mystery of mysteries. Wonder of all wonders, how can sinners like us, all condemned for all have fallen short of the glory of God, how can sinners like us find ourselves not condemned when everything points to our condemnation? How is it possible for those of us that have this verdict against us to suddenly have this glimmer of hope spring to life and to hear the words, not condemned. Well, Paul says it's only possible in Christ Jesus. Amen. Sometimes when you're searching for illustrations, the best place to find them is just in the Scriptures. And the best place to find an illustration of what it means to be in Christ and being secure in Christ is actually found in Genesis chapter 6, 7, and 8 in the story of Noah. You remember that story, don't you? God regretted that he had made man because sin was so widespread on the earth. And as God searched the land to and fro, he found one man, one righteous man named Noah. And he told Noah, Noah, I'm going to judge the earth. 
but I want you to build an ark. And I want you to bring each kind of animal onto the ark with you, and I want you to bring your family onto this ark. And so Noah went to work. He built the ark. The day came. The animals got onto the boat. And what does the Bible say? The Bible doesn't say that when they all got in that Noah got the rope and he pulled the door shut and then he, and then he hammered it closed. That's not what it says. The Bible says that when Noah and his family were safely on the ark, very intentional, the Holy Spirit inspires this. God shut them in. It was the hand of God that closed the door. It was the hand of God that sealed it shut. And it was the hand of God that kept back the judgment of God for flowing into the ark and killing everyone on board. Friends, when we are in Christ, we are as secure as Noah was on the ark. One writer said it like this, all for faith to lay hold of this. All for an overpowering faith that shall get the victory over doubts and fears. And make us enjoy the liberty with which Christ makes men free. You that believe in Christ, go to your bed tonight and say, if I die in my bed, I cannot be condemned. Should you wake up tomorrow morning, go into the world and say, I am not condemned. And when the devil howls at you and accuses you, you shout back at him, I am not condemned. And if your sins rise up and say, I know you, you say, my sins are gone forever because I am not condemned. I am in Christ. Yeah. So the question, the question this morning is this, are you in Christ? Amen. You know, it was the Lord Jesus who was sitting with Nicodemus at night. And Nicodemus said, we know that you must be from God, for no one can do the signs you do unless God were with him. And Jesus responds to Nicodemus and says those words, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And of course, this led to a deeper conversation. And Jesus says those famous words, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We all know that verse. We love to quote that verse. But what does he say in verse 17? For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Jesus did not come to condemn. Jesus came to save. However, that doesn't mean that all people will be saved. You must decide this morning what you believe about Jesus. Friends, that's the determining factor of your salvation. What do you believe about Jesus? Matthew 16. What do people say about me? Well, they say you're Elijah, the Jeremiah, you're one of the prophets, but you, who do you say that I am? At the end of the day, it's up to you. What do you believe about Christ? Jesus said, John 3, 18, he who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. Friends, your standing before God as guilty or not guilty depends on one decision, depends on one choice. What do you believe about Jesus. Either he is 
the blessed Son of God who came down and by virtue of his sinless life and atoning death on the cross and his subsequent resurrection, the whole world can be forgiven of sin and saved for eternity, or he's not. You must choose. Now, for those of us in the room who have chose to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, for those of us in the room this morning who were in Christ, there's a glorious truth that is seen in the text. It's your second observation. The gospel changes the verdict against us. The gospel changes the verdict against us. Consider those texts that we read across the book of Romans. What was the verdict? Condemned. Condemned. Guilty. Guilty as charged. The whole world guilty. But Jesus changes everything. For those of us in Christ, we are not condemned. We are not guilty. Instead, we are justified. The verdict against us has been changed. Friends, we spent months walking through the doctrine of justification. But lest you have forgotten, let me remind you of what justification is, what it means. Romans 3, verse 23 and 24. For all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Do you remember what justification is? Justification is God crediting to you, God imputing to you, the one who believes, God giving you the righteousness of Christ. Now let's be honest. We've made a mess of this thing. We've broken God's law. We are guilty in his sight. But Jesus came, fulfilled the requirements of the law for us, shed his precious blood, paying the price that you and I owe, and now his righteousness is ours. Paul says it, 2 Corinthians, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. On the cross of Calvary, our sins were imputed to Christ. He became sin. All of our sins are laid upon him. Through his death on the cross, his righteousness is now imputed or credited to us. And friends, our justification, it opens up an entirely new relationship with God, which we never had without Christ. You might remember this from Romans 5, if you turn there briefly with me. Romans 5, verse number 1. Therefore, there's another big therefore in the text. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We who were at war with God, we who were enemies of God, suddenly do not war with God anymore. Now we have peace with God. Why? We've been justified by him. Verse number two, through whom also we've obtained introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. We also now have access to God. Before Christ, before salvation, in our sin, we had no access to God. But now 
through Christ, we can come boldly into the throne room of grace and make our petitions known. Verse 3 through 5, we also have the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. There's coming a day, dear brother and sister, where you will lay your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. There's coming a day where your feet will actually stand in a city whose builder and maker is God. We have the hope of the glory of God and the knowledge of the love of God, verse 5, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. These are all benefits of what it means to be in Christ. We're the beneficiaries of these wonderful blessings. But someone might ask the following question. Well, Pastor Zach, can you ever lose those benefits? Can you sin a sin so heinous that you lose your justification? Can you do something so sinful that God will actually reverse what he pronounced over you at your salvation? Is it possible that God who said not guilty will now in turn pronounce you guilty? Can you lose your salvation? Now, friends, this is a debate that has raged on for many years. And I want us to focus on it for just a moment. Reminded of a few years ago, a, a lady came to the church I was pastoring. She said, I hear that you Southern Baptists believe that you can never lose your salvation. And I said, yes, ma'am, that's what we believe. You can never lose your salvation. And she said, well, I don't believe that. I believe you can lose your salvation. And I simply asked her the following question. Well, then what sin causes you to lose it? Because I want to be sure to avoid that one. Amen. Amen. And of course, she didn't have an answer. And so then I asked her a follow-up question. If you could actually lose it, how would you gain it back? And then not only that, how many times could you actually enter into this cycle of losing and regaining your salvation? You see, friends, if you go read the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews tells us the following that if you could actually lose your salvation, there's only one way to regain it. The Lord Jesus Christ would have to come back down and he would have to be re-crucified for you. That's how secure your salvation is. The writer of Hebrews says there's no need for him to come back and be crucified a second time. He was crucified once for the sins of the world and that's sufficient. If you believe you can lose your salvation, then the writer of Hebrews says you're holding Christ in contempt and re-crucifying him over and over again. What does this text say? This text says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Yeah. In the original Greek, Paul actually puts the negative the no at the beginning of the statement. So in the original Greek, Paul actually writes it like this. No condemnation therefore now exists. 
He puts no condemnation first to emphatically state none, no, absolutely no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Now I want you to focus on this, this other word in the text. Therefore there is now. Now. Friends, that's a beautiful word. Amen. A lot of times, you know, we read the text and we, we'll just kind of skim over it because we've read it so many times. But listen what he says. There is therefore now, the Greek word noon. It means the immediate present. Now, isn't that a beautiful word? Because it carries with it the connotation of constant presentness. Paul didn't say you were once condemned, nor did he say there may come a day in the future where you won't be condemned. He emphatically stated there is there or therefore there is now no condemnation. Present tense, positionally, before God, this is where you stand if you're in Christ Jesus. You are justified. You are not guilty. When is the believer not condemned? Now. And let me remind you of something, dear friends. You are always in the now. Because you are always in the present moment. So whether it's 10 seconds from now, a year from now, 10 years from now, or 10 billion years from now, you will always be in the now. And when are you not condemned? Now. What a glorious truth. This means that the forgiveness we received the moment of our salvation, it covers our sins, past, present, and future. Now I want you to hear what I'm about to say to you. Don't miss this. Your sins are forgiven. You are not condemned of the things you did in the past. Friends, the enemy is going to whisper in your ear, and the enemy is going to say, do you remember what you did way back then? Do you remember that one sin you committed? It was so heinous. It was so deplorable. If anybody finds out, you're through. Has that ever happened to anybody before? It happens to me all the time. No matter how hard you try, you just can't seem to get past what you did. But let me remind you of something. You're not condemned, which guess what that means? It's not Christ whispering in your ear. The Lord Jesus Christ doesn't bring up sins that he's forgotten. That's the enemy whispering in your ear. Take these words to heart. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. What is your verdict in the eyes of God today because of Christ? Not guilty. It has been forgiven. When the enemy whispers in your ear and brings up those old sins, you simply look back at him and say, because I'm in Christ, I am not condemned. You're not condemned of the sins of the past. You also are not condemned of sins committed in the present. Now, for some of you as believers, this is, this is good, good news because you messed up this week. Mom, Dad, you might have been in a fight on the way to church. 
Anybody ever noticed that the devil always attacks on Sunday morning? Amen. <laughs> and when you mess up, when you sin, here's what the enemy does. He whispers in your ear and he laughs and he taunts you and he says, I thought you were saved. But that's not who you are. You can never escape it. You have no purpose. God can't use you anymore. Friends, when the enemy says these things, do not believe it. You are not condemned. What did we read last week? We read of that present struggle the apostle Paul had against sin. And he comes all the way down to that very last statement in verse 24. And what does he say? He says, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. And let me remind you, that's the end of chapter 7. That's chapter 7, verse 25. The very next line is Romans 8, 1. But let me remind you that when Paul wrote the book, he didn't put verse numbers in chapter breaks. This was one constant thought. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, in that present battle against sin, Paul says, there is now no condemnation. You see, friends, for those of us who are believers, there's a new, work, a new law at work in us. What does he say in verse 2? For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. That old law to which you were bound was a law which condemned. It was a law which only brought death, but you are not bound by that law anymore. There's a new law at work in you. It's the law of the spirit of life. What a joy. The old letter brings death. The new law gives life because it's greater in nature. And probably the best way to illustrate this is to think about a piece of metal. Now consider today that we have a piece of metal that weighs 975,000 pounds. And we take that piece of metal 35,000 feet above the surface of the earth and we drop it. What happens? That piece of metal is going to plunge downward until it crashes into the earth. Do you know why? It's because it's bound by the law of gravity. No matter how many times we take that large piece of metal up into the air and drop it, it is always going to fall and crash. Unless somehow the law of gravity can be defied. Unless there's a greater law which is figured out and understood. Because if you can figure out a greater law, then you can keep that 975,000 piece of metal in the air. And friends, there is a greater law. It's the law of aerodynamics. And when discovered and applied properly, you can take that same 975,000 pound piece of metal, you can write Boeing on the side, you can speed it down a runway, and you can make it fly. What changed it? A new law was applied to it. What changes you? A new law is applied to your life. The old law constantly drags you down, bonds us to the flesh, but a greater law has now been applied. 
Therefore, we no longer grovel in the dirt and the grime of this world. We've been lifted to a higher plane, for we are now bound by the Spirit's law of life. That's the very nature of the Spirit's law. It's life, and it's found in these words. We are now not condemned. No fear of judgment, free in Christ Jesus. And here's the joy. This lasts for all eternity. Remember, now, presentness, this standing before God, not condemned, it will never, ever, 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 no, never, ever, ever change. If you are in Christ Jesus, there is never a moment when you will ever stand condemned before God. Your salvation is secure forever. Think about it. Romans 8 opens up with these beautiful words, not condemned. And how does it end? Romans 8, 35. Who will separate us from the love of God in Christ? Who will separate us? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written for your sake, we're being put to death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It starts with not condemned and it ends with no separation. Charles Spurgeon said, in the midst of the hottest of the battle, we are still justified. And in our agony and in our trial, we can lay hold upon the word and the promise of God. There is therefore now no condemnation. Whipped by the devil, dragged at the chariot wheels of sin, ground between the upper and nether stones of Satan, powdered and bruised and crushed in the mortal and pestle of the hand of our adversary, we can still triumphantly say, therefore now no condemnation exists to those who are in Christ Jesus. All of us who have fled, poor, prodigal sinners that we are, for refuge in Jesus. This is our verse. There is no condemnation to them in Christ Jesus. Poverty, yes. Condemnation, no. Depression of spirit, maybe. Condemnation, never. Frustration and defeat, always. Condemnation, Never. Weakness, miserable agony, interceding, crying unto God, faults and failures, yes, but no condemnation. Amen. Friends, all of this is true. All of this is true because of one thing. It's our last point before we close. It's all true because the cross is the mitigating factor. Amen. The cross is the mitigating factor. Friends, the cross changes everything. I glory in preaching on the cross of Jesus. 
There's nothing greater than to stand and declare forgiveness of sins at the cross. It is still to this day the message the world needs to hear. Amen. Condemned we were, but God had a plan. Remember Romans chapter 1, verse 1, the very first verse of this book. What did Paul say? He said, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for what? The gospel of God. The gospel is not man-made. This was not drawn up in the heart of Peter and Paul and James and John and Luke, and they just thought, hey, it sounds good. No, the gospel is eternal. The gospel belongs to God. The gospel has been in the heart of God since before he laid the foundation of the world. Amen. Revelation 13, 8, the lamb which was slain when before the foundation of the world. The gospel has always been God's plan A. There's never been a plan B. The moment Adam and Eve fell, God's rescue mission was set into motion to save us who violate his commandments, which, let me remind you, is all of us. Friends, the cross makes all the difference. It's the mitigating factor. Now, a mitigating factor in the court of law is when an individual has been tried for a crime, they've been proven guilty, and they come to the sentencing phase and they come and stand before the judge. And so the judge is looking at the facts of the case and he's about to render the consequence. He's about to say, this is what you have to pay for what you did. A mitigating factor is something that the defense lawyer will actually put before the judge to try to get the judge to have mercy, to try to get the judge to have leniency. So you might think of a murder trial. Here's a man, he's killed someone, he's been proven guilty, and they're contemplating the death penalty. And the defense attorney stands up and says, well, judge, before you hand down the sentence, please understand that my client as a child was abused. And because he was abused so violently, psychologically, this leads to violent behavior. And so I'm arguing for a lesser sentence, not the death penalty, but life in prison. It's a mitigating factor. Reminds me of this story that I was reading this week that D.L. Moody used to tell. It was of a man who was living in France during the Second World War. And there was a draft in France, and people's names were being drawn for battle. And this one certain man, his name was drafted, and he was going to have to go off to war. But because of certain life circumstances, he had a friend who stepped in and took his place. And this friend went to war, and in the battle, he was killed. Years went by, and another draft took place. And that man's name was drawn again. And he went and stood before the court. And he said, my name has been drawn. I went to war and I was killed in the war. And I cannot be impressed in the service again. And so the court looked at the documents and they found out that his friend had actually taken his place. His friend had fought in his place and his friend had actually died in his place. And so the court set the man free. 
determining he had already fought, he had already died, and therefore he was free from going to war. His friend had taken his place. It's a mitigating factor. And friends, you might remember that story in the book of Zechariah. As Joshua, the high priest, stands before God in judgment, and there's his accuser, Satan. And Satan comes and says, don't you know who this is? This dirty, vile, rotten, no good sinner. God, you should cast him into hell. And it's just then that Zechariah says, our advocate, what's an advocate? A defense attorney. And the Bible says that we have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Our advocate steps forward and introduces the ultimate mitigating factor. Amen. He steps forward and says, yes, they deserve death. That's the penalty. That's the debt that's owed. But I paid it for them. I went to the cross. I took the wrath deserved this individual. Therefore, I now clothe them with my righteousness, and they are not condemned. Amen. Friends, this is what Paul has been introducing to us across the book of Romans. Chapter 3, you might remember in verse 26, he says, For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Friends, for God to be God, he must punish sin. He must be just. And he is. A crime has been committed, and the sentence for that crime is death. And God is just. Someone has to die for your sins. Jesus died in your place. God was pleased to crush his very own son, but he's also the justifier, meaning that through the death of, the, of Christ Jesus, God remains just, but now he can also forgive the transgressor. Payment has been made. Chapter 5, verse 6 through 8, for while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How often we forget about how God feels about sin. He abhors it. Amen. And he demonstrates that abhorrence by giving up his own son to death, crushing him on our behalf. This flows directly from the love of God. He hates sin so much he would do anything to destroy it, but he loves you so much he would spare no expense in reconciling you to himself. In Romans 8, verse 3 and 4, the cross is the mitigating factor for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. What could the law not do? It could not save. It's impossible. Not because of what the law is, but because of who we are. We can never be saved by the law because our flesh goes to war against us. What the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, listen to the two most glorious words ever uttered from the lips of the Apostle Paul. What the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did it. God did. 
The heart of God as seen in the gospel. God did the work. Heard a preacher say the other day, there are only two religions on earth. He said, I know what some of you will say. You'll protest and you'll say, no, there are thousands. And he said, no, there are only two. Only two religions on earth. The one religion is summed up by two letters, D-O. Do. Do this, do that, fulfill this command, fulfill this law, and in the end, if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, maybe heaven is in your future. But the other religion is summed up by a four-letter word, D-O-N-E, done. What the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. God did it. God accomplished it. How? Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You go all the way back and think about Noah for a moment. And you remember when Noah got off the ark, that God did what? He put a bow in the sky. And he said, I'll never destroy the earth by flood again. And every time I see the bow, I'll remember this covenant that I made with man. Now, if you're a hunter in the room and you like to bow hunt, then you know that when you hunt, you put the arch of the bow toward your intended target. So you point the arch at whatever you're aiming to shoot. Have you ever noticed that the rainbow is not pointed earthward? It's pointed heavenward. The arch is pointed directly at the heart of God. It's as if God was saying when Noah got off the boat, I will never fire my wrath and my judgment upon the earth again. Instead, the next time that I fire the bow of my wrath, I'm going to fire it into my own heart. Everything you see on the cross is what you deserve. But Jesus took your place. The bowl which represents the wrath of God was fired directly at Christ. He was condemned for you in order that you might not be condemned in the courtroom of God. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who were in Christ Jesus. Amen. So we conclude by saying two things. If you're in Christ Jesus, you don't have to worry and you don't have to doubt. You are not condemned now and forever. Glory be unto God. But if you're here today and you've never given your heart to Christ Jesus, you do stand condemned but you don't have to anymore. You can make a choice today to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Be forgiven of your sins, past, present, and future. And in the courtroom of God, stand not condemned. You walked in guilty, you can leave not guilty. 
if you give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Heads bowed and eyes closed today. Our musicians are going to come. And just like the 830 service, the hour is late, Brother Caleb, so we'll just sing one verse. And some people say, well, Pastor, you get really one verse? Here's what I'm going to say to you. If you're here today and you need to be saved, you know it in your heart. And we don't have to draw it out to get some emotional response from you. If you know you need to be saved, then I'm going to invite you to take the most bold step you'll ever take. Just step out in the aisle and come down here and take me by the hand and say, Pastor, I need to give my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. He died in your place so that you can stand not condemned. Without Christ, you are condemned. With Christ, you're not guilty in the courtroom of God because His righteousness now clothes you. What a glorious truth that is. Do you want to be saved today? We're going to stand to our feet and we're going to sing a, one verse of the song, There is a Fountain. And if today you need to be saved and you need to come under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, just come down here and take me by the hand. Believer, this is a moment of worship for you. Praise God for the blood of Jesus. If you'll stand and sing, there is a fountain. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's vein. Beneath that flood Lose all their guilty stains Lose all their guilty stains Lose all their guilty stains And sin Let's give the Lord a big hand today. <laughs> Introduce you to a young man here. This is Abel. You might remember that last week his brother Frankie came down and gave his heart and life to Christ. And you might remember that about three months ago, his older brother Tobias came down and gave his heart and life to Christ. And Abel comes today during our children's church with Brother James there and got to talking to him about being saved. And Abel comes today to put his faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And on February 18th, listen, February 18th, that's our next baptism day. We'll be talking to him in a couple of moments about that. But listen, if you've never been baptized or you want to talk about being saved and being baptized, come grab me after the service and say, Pastor, I want to talk to you about that because I would love to take a moment to talk to you this afternoon. All right, Abel, you can go right back there with James. At the end of the service, Abel's going to be right here. And you can come love on him a little bit, okay? Listen, on your way out the door today, two things. Don't forget that next Friday night is our Valentine's Banquet. The Valentine's Banquet is a fundraiser for the youth in order for them to be able to go to camp, okay? If you would like to come to that, it's not too late to buy tickets. Uh, it's $15 a person. 
$30 a couple. So if you want to attend that, please come out next Friday night at 6 o'clock. It's in the fellowship hall. However, your tickets have to be bought by tomorrow so we can know you're coming. We got to know what kind of food and how much food to get. So please, on your way out the door, there's a sign-up sheet right outside these double doors over here. And there's a, some ladies standing there to greet you, so please swing by there and tell them about your desire to come to the Valentine's Bank. We do have a Christian comedian coming, uh, Scott Davis, and it'll be a great time next Friday night. So please come out and be a part of that. Also, if you'd like to give to Flat Creek, you can always give online, flatcreekchurch.net, or you can give on your way out the doors. Guys, it's been a great day. Let's give the Lord a big hand today. Praise God. Praise God. Brother Caleb, you close us with a word of prayer. This is your benediction. Lord, we thank you so much that we've been able to gather in your name this morning and worship you. Uh, Lord, we just say a special thanks this morning uh, for what you did for us on the cross. Lord, I pray we never forget it. I pray that we remind ourselves every morning before we leave the house uh, that there is no condemnation for us. And I pray we celebrate it everywhere we go, every chance we get. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your many blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Sunday stream here at Flat Creek Baptist Church in Gainesville, Georgia. I am Pastor Zach Williams and it is a great
7.5 Glory FM, your family radio station in North Troy.